Hello and welcome to the Numlock Podcast. I am Walt Hickey. I do Numlock. Joining me this week is Ashley Carmen. She writes a really cool newsletter for Bloomberg called Soundbite, all about the audio industry, whether that's audiobooks, whether that's podcasting, whether that's music. It is a always tumultuous industry to cover. Uh, we've seen some really interesting things happen in the podcast industry this year. We've seen some fascinating stories in the music industry this year, and I thought it'd be really fun to have Ashley on to talk a little bit about all of them. So you should check out her work at Soundbite. It is a free newsletter from Bloomberg, which is normal normally not free, and so you should definitely give it a whirl. Hope you enjoy the interview. Ashley, thank you so much for coming back on. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. You cover, I guess I just want to say audio, right? Uh, it's a big beat. It's a lot going on. Uh, and it's been a really dynamic couple months, it seems, in your field. Uh, yeah. What's been going on? Yeah. So basically my beat, I started out covering the podcast industry at, over at The Verge for a number of years, came over to Bloomberg, still with that intention to cover the podcast world, but also add in some of the music industry. So really getting kind of both sides. And obviously, audio can also include audiobooks all the various genres of audio that exist in this world, but primarily focus on like the podcast space and music industry. What's been going on? I mean, <laughs> podcasting, podcasting's been having a little bit of a market correction reckoning. The music world is pushing for a whole new streaming model and wringing their hands over generative AI. So kind of busy, uh, dynamic moments on both sides of the industry. Yeah, I, I recall reading a little while ago that that the audio slice of the pie, so to speak, is increasing, but the individual, you know, groups within it are kind of rising and falling pretty dynamically. I guess let's talk a little bit about what hasn't really been working super well lately. Uh, you've written a lot about the podcast industry and the consolidation that we've seen in that. Uh, what's kind of been going on, I want to say, in the past six months? It seems like there's been a serious contraction. Yeah, so essentially, like... Th- the very sped up version of podcast podcast world up until now is (laughs) starting around 2019, you had Spotify enter the space, spending a ton of money, which basically set off this huge gold rush around podcasts. Amazon entered the world with Wondery, adding it onto Amazon Music, Spotify, obviously making its acquisitions, Sirius XM, iHeart, which of course has been in audio and Sirius XM having been in audio, but really in earnest signing big lucrative uh podcast deals and you know that goes on for a few years you have the live audio craze of clubhouse and then this past year really what's happened is this moment of okay we spent a lot of money on these podcast deals and locking up some of these big names in exclusive partnerships but are we actually making our money back on those deals? And I think that's what we're starting to see now is this correction of like, hey, what were these deals really worth? Was this just a super frothy, hyped ecosystem that got us into some financial troubles? So now with that kind of in the rear view mirror, some more awareness around the smart deals that could be made, you're seeing some consolidation in the space, even on the smaller network side, who were maybe benefiting from that frothy environment. Now they're like, okay, 
we need to we need to figure out how we're going to survive in this ecosystem, especially when there's a broader ad pullback in the market. So they're starting to consolidate. The bigger companies are laying folks off because they kind of just got over their skis as far as the investment. Um, and yeah, it's just been kind of a rough time, honestly, but I'm hoping that it, it turns a corner soon. Yeah, it seems like it, it got very frothy, it felt like is a good word. Uh, I, I guess what what companies and what kind of podcasts and what, what I guess, industrial organization structure has, has been the most durable? It seems like the big guys who put a ton of money into recruiting a lot of maybe talent from movie and television those haven't necessarily done as well because they were very ad sensitive, but that's not everything. There's still a lot of things that are working in podcasts, it seems. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the important caveat here is podcasting is growing. Audio companies' revenue is growing in the podcast world. It's not the type of downturn we're seeing where all of a sudden it's like, we lost 7 billion listeners this month. <laughs> like, it's not like that. It's like the space itself is actually growing. It's just when it's in relation to the deals themselves and how much was spent for the return, it was maybe just a little too early for that moment. Um, so what's working is people do enjoy listening to podcasts. I, I personally, I, I see it in my friends, which granted I have the bias of being a media reporter <laughs> and my friends are also media people, but like they buy stuff from podcasts. They enjoy engaging with it. So from that perspective, like I actually think podcasts have a lot of might and there's been a lot of stuff written recently, not from me, but other great reporters who have covered just how important podcasts are in the political landscape as well. Um, so you can really see the impact and the amount of conversation they can drive and really bring people to make certain decisions. So I think that actually they're, the spotlight is on them. It's just the business has kind of been a little tricky. Yeah, it, it's weird that I think that's I've seen a lot of podcasts that had been very ad supportive for a while often start pivoting towards like live events and whatnot in a way that like, you know, that's what music acts do historically as well. It's not you don't always need to make all your money off of, of, of the you know physical sales. It can also just be actual events. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the podcast touring definitely still exists. I don't know if it's like the biggest slice of the pie, but there's, of course, Patreon and subscriptions, which has been a success story for the podcasters that can make it work. So they're all there are alternate avenues for success. What else isn't really doing all that swell when it comes to audio right now? I know that podcasts have had kind of a, a hiccup, but you've also seen, you've written a couple times about Spotify is looking to raise prices, potentially. You're looking at some of these larger companies that have tried to really control a lot of the audio pie might not be doing as, as well. Uh, what else is kind of is struggling before we get into what's doing rather well? Yeah. So, I mean, I think kind of what you're hinting at maybe is just sort of, you know, the streaming environment for music. Um, really what we're seeing there is it's been, it's really obviously reversed the trend of piracy back in the day. And we're <laughs> streaming now. Companies are doing great. The music companies are growing. They're public, all of that. But what we're seeing in that world is a little bit of concern over the potential future, which is how do they continue growing? How do they maximize the dollar from the streaming services? So you've seen price increases. And then also just even more somewhat forward facing, just how do you deal with like generative AI when maybe that would lead to an influx of content out there? How do you actually allow artists who do this for a living and maybe aren't necessarily totally financially motivated by it to actually have their music be heard and make money off of it. And then of course, in the music world, you also have the struggle of like, 
TikTok runs so much of this now in the conversation. So what do you do? How do you break artists? Like, how do you make superstars when a lot of this is at the whims of an algorithm? Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but I feel like you wrote something a little while ago about how some of the major music companies are even starting to invest in some of these streams, whether they're like the lo-fi or high-pitched streams, to kind of capitalize on some of that social... Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, and I also need to put myself back in that story. (laughs) Yes, so the piece that I wrote was about sped-up songs, which is a, a TikTok trend. You know, it's like chipmunk singing. It's just sped up tracks. And what the major labels have kind of covertly done is run Spotify accounts that have all those tracks on there. So it kind of gives off this veneer of, oh, this is some low-key TikTok DJ who put this up here and I stumbled upon this big secret when actually it's like totally blessed by the labels and ensures (laughs) that when you're listening to that song, they get paid the proper royalties because obviously if some random person uploaded a song, I guess we would say illegally. Sure. They, it, without the proper rights and they don't properly tag the rights holders, the rights holders don't get paid. So you can see the incentive to be like, here's your cool thing, but we're actually going to make our money off of it. How widespread is that? That's, that's wild. Uh, I wrote about, I believe it was a universal account that I wrote about. And I think I wrote about a Warner account as well. So in those two cases, um, there were two different accounts. And then, um, gosh, I would need to check. But one of them actually put out an official compilation of sped up songs. There are ghost kitchens for music now. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what's kind of hitting. Because uh, uh, a story that you wrote fairly recently that I really enjoyed because it like, you know, struck me directly on target uh, demographically and generationally is um, you wrote a story about how one of the biggest hits on the road these days and one of the biggest tours out there and one of the biggest like odd successes that we've seen in the live events industry has been uh, the late aughts revival of, 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 rock whether it's blink 182 or, or, or any of these other emo related bands uh mm-hmm. and i dug that because obviously everybody likes reading about themselves at times but like <laughs> this seems like a very um you mentioned that it was a little unexpected uh but that it really is hitting well, why is that yeah so what i wrote about just to recap um you did a good job recapping but just to cover <laughs> it even more so is that yeah you have tours like blink 182 got back together their tour is massive i have the exact number yeah so yeah their north Amer- north american leg of their tour grossed 85.3 million dollars and sold 564,000 tickets according to billboard and yeah, so they, they've just had this like massive success. It's also translated to streaming. And then you also have tours like My Chemical Romance, who reunited, that did also amazingly well. They grossed $88 million on their tour last year. And then additionally, there's just this like When We Were Young festival, which maybe you've heard of in Vegas, which is like a who's who of that era and rock bands. And so really what we're seeing is these bands command an audience, even though their heyday was like, you know, 2004 or even the late nineties. And, you know, there's, I don't know exactly what's causing it. Obviously it could be that folks like us, we're older, we have jobs, we can afford to go to concerts. Like we have a disposable income. Maybe we're going to see it. Maybe they're kind of the torches being passed from 
our parents' generation of rockers down to them, and they're going to become the big rock stadium acts that everybody goes to see in the summer or whatever it is. Or, I mean, this is kind of the X factor is maybe it's like the Y2K interest from Gen Z and this kind of resurgence and that kind of aesthetic and culture. It could be that too. It could be all those things. But yeah, it's it's cool to see. And it's definitely like a trend that people are banking on. Yeah. I, like, And again, the numbers here are wild. Like you mentioned Blink-182. I think they're like the fifth or sixth highest like three month live grosses. Like it, mm-hmm. it, they are genuinely one of the most competitive acts out there per that ranking in, the, in that post. And they're touring a ton. Like I mentioned the North American numbers, but they're going around the world. Like it's almost a year long tour. So it's going to be massive. Great. Yeah. Now it's, it's definitely a cool th- trend because one thing that you've kind of read a lot about is that like what's hitting now is really inconsistent. Um, we can talk about a couple things. One thing I want to talk about is Mexican music. One thing I want to talk about is country music. Uh, where do you want to kind of go first with this? Cause it, the things that are doing really, really well are fairly eclectic. Yeah. I mean, we can start with any of them. I think the story of country music is pretty interesting. Morgan Wallen has just been a force who without getting into the full story, you know, he was caught on camera using the N word, not great a lot of issues around him also there was some covid stuff back in the covid days um and so really he's just had this moment where his fans like are committed they love him he's selling out stadiums doing really really well so his story of the country music is interesting because you kind of have these acts who are starting to be i guess you would call them crossover they're starting to reach into a pop audience even and also you have this sort of cultural shift that some people would like to see in country, which is like maybe more voices from women or black artists or LGBTQ artists and kind of the struggle between that and the reality that Morgan Wallen is the biggest country star in the world right now. So that that's like the story of country and, and it's an interesting one because there's definitely some tension there. Wallen is, is interesting for a lot of reasons, but his album, One Thing at a Time, has been topping rankings for quite some lot, quite some time. He did some interesting stuff with that. Like I, he kind of clued in on a trend that that like on how to not manipulate, but how to use streaming incentives to their advantage. Because it's like a thirty six song record that is is almost two hours long, which you rarely see. But if you're thinking of a streaming thing, that could make sense, right? Yeah, I mean, if you want to give fans a lot to listen to, you definitely could. Although I do think a lot of it is probably all going to his singles. I mean, I hear them everywhere I go. And that's even in New York. Yeah. Um, taking another step, like Mexican music in particular, you had this really great story, I want to say, beginning of June, end of May, uh, mm-hmm. that was all about kind of that niche in general. And, and there's been a lot of like regional music that has succeeded. Uh, that's riding a couple different other trends, right? Yeah, obviously Mexican music is sung in Spanish most of the time. And so what we're seeing there is kind of just a continuation of growth in the Latin music, broader genre, which is like that Bad Bunny, obviously huge, lots of others, Rosalia, lots of others. So with Mexican music, we're seeing artists like Peso Pluma, who is 23 years old from Guadalajara, He's also just been this huge act um, and really like the sound is truly like a regional sound. And there is controversy with that as well around this genre called narco corridos, which are like stories around drug cartels and sort of just like 
like Wild West stories almost. And obviously there's been some pushback on that. But once again, it's like this music is really reaching people regardless of whether they speak Spanish or not. And I think the story with Mexican music is going to be, can it become as big as reggaeton or dembow or something that really translates across the world? Right now we're seeing it, you know, in Mexico, obviously the US, but can it really go to like Asia? We're starting to see hints of it. But that's kind of the next turn of the screw for that genre. Really? So, like, it, it does make sense that it could succeed in America because there's a large Spanish-speaking audience here. But, like, th- the next marker of success is, is it going to be played in Japan? I mean, anywhere in the world. But, yeah, like, yeah. obviously, Asia would be amazing. There are some, like, I spoke to some people who were like, yeah, we have listeners in Japan, which is so cool. But, yeah, like, you want to see it succeed in all sorts of different regions that maybe don't necessarily have that direct tie to Mexico or Spanish language. Yeah, I mean, I know that they've done phenomenally well in North American tours. Like, Bad Bunny's tour was was huge. Yeah, Bad Bunny was huge. And all these Mexican artists have also been touring for years. Like, the U.S. has a huge Mexican population or descendants of Mexican people. So it definitely does very, very well in North America. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's just been, it's a really great newsletter. Uh, I enjoy it a lot. Uh, and I, I, you know, I'm interested in the space and it's just been very cool because this seems like a very transformative time where finally the music industry has kind of, as you mentioned, put piracy at bay, but at the same time, there are still some issues lurking. I remember you had a story a little while ago about uh, people are concerned about streaming fraud and some of the numbers that are out there when it comes to possible streaming fraud are pretty remarkable. Uh, what do you make of that? Yes. So streaming fraud is an interesting conversation because that's one that I feel like for years wasn't really widely acknowledged. Like it was just sort of maybe discussed behind closed doors, but more and more now companies are discussing this. I believe Universal talked about it or at least like nodded to streaming fraud as an issue that they're trying to handle on their earnings call. It's just a bigger conversation in the space now. And I think part of this does come from that urgency of, okay, Again, assuming there will be a future where generative AI puts a lot more music on the platforms. How do you know who is there authentically? Who's getting fake streams? How do you qualify that and quantify that? I think there's just this motivation to really crack down and make sure everyone's getting paid their fair due. And maybe, obviously, the labels don't want to lose market share to what they would consider either outright fraud or just not real, not human artists or I don't even know, like not real artists, I guess. Is what, what do you mean by that? That's, that's interesting. Um, it's kind of like talked around, like it's sort of just this idea of, you know, real artists who are artists, musicians that are like, I am, this is my career. This is what I want to do versus someone who might be financially motivated and goes to an app to generate a song. And it's like, this is a way for me to make money. Yeah. Or I mean, UMG has talked a little bit about like noise and they say like a noise, like white noise, for example, is that worth as much? Should that be worth the same amount as I think Warner famously said an Ed Sheeran song? Like, should those be counted the same and be worth the same amount of money? The labels would obviously say no. I assume people who make white noise would be like, yes. So this is this is kind of the, the dynamics right now. And the person who, or the entity that currently gets to decide that is Spotify. Yeah, the DSPs. Got it. Cool. 
that's an interesting one. I, I, I feel like I'm going to see more of that in the future. Um, so the newsletter is Soundbite. Uh, again, I really dig it. It's a Bloomberg newsletter. It's very, very cool. I guess before we kind of wrap it up, uh, anything else that's kind of been on your mind lately? Anything that any kind of the stories from this summer that you feel uh, folks should maybe be paying more attention to, whether they're inside of or outside of the music industry? I think the one that everyone's watching is the generative AI story. The thing I'm watching there is it's a lot of theoretical conversation, a lot of talk, but, and then you have some actors being like, okay, we're going to not allow any AI generated songs on our platform. Okay. I'm curious what the policies look like around that. I'm curious about, how they define an AI generated song. Like, I think that is going to be a big part of the conversation and potentially even on the lead, definitely the legal side. And then maybe even the government side. Like, I just think that story is going to keep snowballing into something. Yeah. It seems like, and cause obviously this is not the only industry that is reckoning with the potential for AI. A lot of it comes down to just who gets to use it and when, like, right. can you use Can an artist use AI during the creation of a song versus can a label use an AI to make a song versus can, a DSP uh, use it to, to kind of flood their network with stuff. Like it, it's a weird, peculiar question that you're right is entirely theoretical in so many ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, Ashley, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Where can folks find you? I am on X, AKA Twitter, I guess, <laughs> at Ashley R. Carmen. Honestly, I'm a nerd who's like, follow me on LinkedIn to be honest. And then sure. you subscribe to my newsletter. It is free. No yeah, problem. It's so great. That's exciting. You got some really good data in there. I'm very fond of it. Uh, anybody who listens to stuff should definitely check it out. Um, Ashley Carmen, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. You can find Ashley's work at Bloomberg in the Soundbite podcast. Thanks to JT Fails for the use of our theme song. If you like this, tell some friends about it. We're always looking for new readers and new listeners. Thanks for checking us out. Bye.